In a world where so much of our culture, music, concerts, film, television, radio, theatre, comics, stand-up, opera, paintings, podcasts, photography, books, sculpture, video games, ballet, newspapers, magazines, porn. In a world where so much of this stuff is readily accessible within a few clicks and practically for free, how can we make our experience with art feel special? How can an artist expect an audience to engage with their work? What are we doing? What's the point? In my career as a musician, I found that the only way to reach an audience is to make your own. Family members, close friends, stuffed animals, fake online profiles, yeah. But also finding people, real people that actually like the same stuff that you like. You've got to find those people. There might not be many of them, but that doesn't matter. That just makes what you do as an artist more limited edition. That's right. You're limited edition. So what does it mean to be limited edition? I'm going to share with you my thoughts today about why it might be important to focus on a smaller audience in order to attract the attention of a larger one. Could everything be limited edition? Could we create an unlimited edition. I take for granted all the things you ask of me. Evidently, I can't accommodate all your demands. How that plagues you, then escapes you all over again. I've had enough time to figure out what this means. But staring nothing in the distance to avoid the machine. I'm Johnny Lynch. In the 18 years I've been making music, I've managed to forge some sort of career by focusing on the tens instead of the tens of thousands. I'd like to think that was by design, but really, there was no plan at all. Look, let me tell you about my life. I started writing and recording songs in 2002. I was a student living on the east coast of Scotland in a small town in Fife. There wasn't much there to do. The students' union was regularly packed out with cheesy chart dance nights or tribute acts. There was, however, a local pub that would put on a music night every second Wednesday, and it was where a group of locals from the town and the surrounding area would go to listen to new and original music. It was kind of like an open mic night, except it was curated by the same group of people each week. Each of the performers would have their own pseudonym. They weren't adopting a stage persona, there was nothing theatrical about it. In fact, it was the total opposite. The musicians were using pseudonyms as a means to deflect any sense of ego. There was no virtuoso playing, no noodlers or show-offs. It was all about the songs. I'd go as a punter and was mesmerised. I soon became a fan of these songs that I'd hear every fortnight or so, and would be singing along, making friends with them all, and buying the sampler CDRs that they'd have on sale at the end of the night, with tracks from the various singer-songwriters who'd performed. There wasn't many of us there, certainly not many folks who weren't performing. I keenly felt the need to be involved. I was in a student band at the time, singing someone else's songs, playing a bit of guitar. But that summer I recorded a collection of my own songs, simple two-chord folky pieces, songs that were really inspired by the ones that I'd heard in that pub. I put them on a CD with the name Pictish Trail, a nickname that my flatmate had given me, and plucked up the courage to give it to Kenny. 
He was the guy that had been running the nights there. Around that time he'd also been running the local record shop, which had racks and racks of well-curated CDs. This was pre-any vinyl resurgence. The CDs he stocked included albums by folks who played at these pub nights, CDs that he'd made the artwork for and had burned onto CDR by himself. It was a collective called Fence, and now I was a part of that. Fence released my CD album of home-recorded songs, and I would play at the pub nights as Pictish Trail alongside all the others. It was great. I felt a real sense of confidence and acceptance for what I was doing. I felt part of a gang. Players from the collective would accompany me on my songs, and I would join in with some guitar or percussion or backing vocals on their songs. There was a real sense of belonging. The CD shop in town had to close. High local business rates, student apathy and the rise of Napster, no doubt. But the pub night gathered strength. Somehow there was a scene growing. The nights got much busier, the music started getting coverage in fanzines and on the radio. People were ordering copies of the CDs on the Fence website. I graduated from university the following summer and moved to a cheaper fishing village nearby where pretty much all the other musicians lived. By that point, there was interest from big London-based record labels. Tours started getting booked. The profile of the collective was rising and it all happened in a fairly organic way. Individual artists from our group were receiving recognition, some getting signed, and it all fed back into the collective story. This was where all the artists came from. Something that was once a small pub night had turned into a significant local success story, one that was garnering national press and radio airplay occasionally. But crucially, it was building a hardcore fan base. A lot of the same people were attending the shows. They were singing along, they were buying all the CD releases. We put on all-day events in the pub, which grew into a weekend festival in a few small halls around the village. This became an annual thing. And then we'd end up doing a couple of weekend events throughout the year. The first weekend event that we did was limited to 100 tickets. It didn't sell out straight away, mostly due to the fact that we made tickets available to buy in person from the local pub. But it sold out eventually. And the folks who missed out the first time made sure that they were first in line when we made tickets available online the following year. Unfortunately, our primitive website crashed. Still, when everything was back online, 200 tickets sold out within the day. In the following years, we'd have 400 tickets sell out within 15 minutes. The secret ingredient to all this was keeping things relatively small and keeping in direct contact with the fans, making them feel a part of it. We could occasionally stretch out a wee bit, do something a bit bigger, but then we'd have to follow it up with a few smaller events to make them feel exclusive, special. What was really important was that there wasn't really any sense of distance between the musicians and the fans. It feels weird to even call them fans. We were all friends with one another. But yeah, the big amazing point I'm trying to get across with my entire exciting life story is that in order to do something special with good folks, you have to create a thirst for it and nurture a sense of community. It has to be something that requires a sense of urgency, not just in its limited nature, but in that sense of belonging, that keening to feel like a vital part of something. It's that same feeling I had as an audience member in that pub. It really helps if you have an element where the audience actively wants to be involved. The economics of our small events revolve around the fact that it's our fans who volunteer. They volunteer to help run the bar, tidy up, man the door, sell the merchandise, do the ticket desk, all that stuff. 
Our events are so small we can't afford to hire folks. It needs everyone helping to make it work. And with that comes a sense of ownership. It becomes their event. If you can somehow harness that spirit, build that sense of community, you'll get a strong, loyal following. This party's climate's going down Like a big lead balloon Inexplicably inflating Slowly sinking the room Is this so real? How do you feel? In 2010, I visited the remote Hebridean Isle of Egg. I'd met a farmer and she lived on Egg. Figure out what this means She was a farmer on Egg. I was quite taken with this farmer on egg, and so I went to visit her. On egg. Spoiler alert, I'm recording this on egg, in the small bothy. I've been with the farmer for ten years. We've got two kids. When I first visited Egg, I was really taken with the place and I thought, oh, we should do one of our events here. We'd never done a weekend event outside of our fishing village in Fife before, but I figured this would be a perfect place. The event had to be smaller than what our Fife event had grown to, just because of the limited infrastructure on this small island. So we announced that the event was going to happen on our message board, although we didn't announce the lineup, and we put tickets on sale on our webshop the following month. It sold out within five minutes. It was incredible. The fervour for tickets had become part of the identity of the event, part of the experience. The people that missed out on tickets for the first event on Egg were the best advert for the next one. They knew they had to get online early. They had to corral all their pals, make sure they were all poised to purchase tickets. Sometimes across the group they'd purchase too many, which actually meant they invited other friends along with their spare tickets. These people in turn became ardent fans. By 2013, we'd attracted more than 25 million people to Egg. No, that's not true. We had to keep the event about the same size each year, about 350 folks. And every time it sold out within five minutes. And every time it attracted artists who would regularly be seen headlining stages at other much larger events like Glastonbury or Green Man Festival. We'd get five-star reviews across newspapers and magazines. By 2013, I'd moved to Egg full-time. I'd been living here for a few years at that point, actually. The scene in Fife had fizzled out a bit. That happens. People move, start relationships, start families. The label had evolved by this point too, with the artist roster spread across the UK and beyond. Being part of a collective and label is such a large part of my identity as a musician. It's the reason I became a musician, so I wanted to keep that going. You'd think being the only person on the label that lives on a remote Scottish island would make that slightly difficult, but the draw of the place, its sheer magnetism, kept the spirit alive in both the musicians and the fans. Egg is this amazing, inspiring place that has its own story. It's the story of a community coming together, getting rid of an abusive landlord that previously owned the island, drumming up support with an international fundraiser, buying the island under community ownership, managing a complete peer redevelopment, a pioneering internet network across the surrounding islands and managing to go completely off-grid with an electricity system fuelled by 100% renewable sources. With just 105 residents, Egg's message is one of community power and it has the green credentials to match. I set up a new label called Lost Map Records, continued working with the existing artist roster, 
continued the festival, which is called Howlin' Fling. My partner built a bothy, which I'm in just now, on her farmland. And we set up a residency programme here called Visitations, where artists write and record music and we release it on vinyl. We've also got a monthly membership service called Postmap Club, where our fans subscribe and we send them printed postcards in the post, which contain download codes for new music from our artist roster. We even give them a membership badge. It's a way of physically keeping in touch with our audience every month and a way for them to support the label. Something that I've learned is that it's really important to take risks from time to time. That's usually how you expand your audience, reach new people. However, I think it's more important to actually come up with new ideas. Instead of looking to challenge your audience, it's about challenging yourself. I keep busy by doing lots of different limited edition projects. Releasing records in small batches, making small quantities of merchandise available, t-shirts, bobble hats, and putting on events with a purposefully restricted capacity. So much of the appeal of these things lies in their collectability and their scarcity. They rely on the words limited edition, closely followed by the words sold out, in order to create a hunger for the next run. Their exclusivity fuels their popularity and crucially also bolsters a sense of inclusivity. Can we make our limited edition experiences unlimited? Unlimited. Sparks is produced by Unboxed and brought to you by the RSA. To find out more about RSA Fellowship and our Design for Life mission, visit the rsa.org.